Hello everyone and welcome back. I'm Kevin McCormack, the Communications Director at CERM. Our next guest is a woman who's amazing on many levels. She's the mother of a child who could have died in infancy, but thanks to stem cell research, the child is now a thriving eight-year-old. Alicia has also become a great uh, supporter of stem cell research and a powerful patient advocate. Um, Alicia Vaccaro, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, how are you? Oh, great, thank you. Um, so let's start with uh, the reason why you got into all of this, uh, Evie. Um, well, there was no reason I got into it. I was thrown into it. Uh, being, you know, a new mother of twins and having your daughter diagnosed with um, basically, I guess, a terminal illness that anything could potentially kill her. I was put into this situation and because of the situation, I, I learned about stem cells. So what, what was Evie diagnosed with and, and what, what happened after that? Uh, Evangelina was born in 2012 and she was diagnosed with SCID, which is a severe combined immune deficiency, which basically means she had no immune system whatsoever and any potential virus, bacteria, fungus could kill her. And at the time, what, what kind of options were you given in terms of treatments? At the time, you know, as a, a new mother and as any parent, um, your option was that you thought, well, my child's going to die. Um, but over time and being in the hospital, we realized that there was a potential to maybe have a bone marrow transplant uh, if you have a matching sibling. That's usually the most successful. And again, that's a treatment. Uh, her sister was not a match for her. And we did then find out that Dr. Cohn at UCLA had a potential gene therapy trial that um, maybe our daughter could, uh, could be a, a patient in. What did you understand about this? I mean, was this something you'd heard about before or was it just completely new? Well, everyone knows that in a trial you're experimenting. I mean, that's just what it is right now. I mean, people are in an experiment for a COVID vaccine. You don't know what's going to happen realistically in that scenario. However, with this trial, we were provided an ample amount of information because Evangelina was not the first to be in this trial. Many parents had laid a pathway for our decision with our own child. And we felt like that was a better option than going with a partial match for a bone marrow transplant and her dying of graft versus host disease. Even so, for you and Kristen, your husband, it must have been a tremendously difficult decision to make. I mean, it, as you say, it's an experiment. Well, and that's, I don't think any treatment is easy for a parent. You know, um, you don't know if you're going to make the right one. You're hoping you do. You do as much research as you can with the minds that you're provided and the knowledge you have, not as, you know, we were both not in the medical field. Um, but speaking to Dr. Cohn, who led the trial, he was so kind and explained everything in a level that we could understand, in a human level. And we felt that that was the better option. And if the trial didn't work, worst case scenario, we knew that the bone marrow transplant is something we could have always fallen back on. So in Evie's case, they took some of her own blood stem cells, right? And genetically corrected the, the flaw, uh, returned them to her, and, and that built a new blood supply and, and repaired her immune system. How quickly after that procedure did you begin to see changes? Did you begin to see 
um, her immune system really reconstitute itself. So realistically, it was slow um, because it's, you know, blood draw by blood draw. She was in the hospital for six weeks. They did chemo. It just, you know, wipes out a little system out. But um, it was probably about three to four weeks in. Um, and it was around Christmas that Dr. Cohen came in and says, it looks like it's working. And those cells were duplicating in her body. So it was soon, but it was a gradual increase to where she could get to being outside and then potentially playing with other children and living a normal life. How's she doing today? Oh, she's wild. She, um, she's into everything. She uh, is around her peers. Um, she's living a normal life. She's at the beach. She's on her skateboard. She's, you know, riding horses. She's pulling her sister's hair. <laughs> she's just a normal, beautiful, healthy child. So before this, do you, did you have any ideas about what stem cell research was and, and how did this change your perception of it? I didn't understand stem cells at all, at all. Um, sitting here today, I have no idea um, how I voted on the proposition that uh, funded CERN. <clears throat> I was born and raised a Catholic girl and I always had the perception of the embryos and babies and I was uneducated and now I know that um, it's just this these stem cells are this 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 wonderful gift that God's given us and we're using them to help treat these people and not maintain people. So since then you've become not just a parent of a child who's benefited from it you've become a real supporter of stem cell research and a great patient advocate how do you, important do you think it is to have that kind of voice, the voice of, of a patient advocate, of someone who's gone through this, um, to help talk to others about this work? Well, because people don't realize it could be them. I didn't think it was going to be me. And I would have never, in, in my wildest dreams, have said that, you know, that, that Hallmark story or that, you know, article you read in the newspaper or what you saw in the news was going to be me. We never know. And we never see it as it's going to be, it, it's us. But it, it was me. It was my daughter. It was my family. It was my sister, my brothers, my cousins. We all went through it. Um, but I also can't look at my child daily and say, look at the gift I've received and not try to push that for others. That's not me. And I don't think that when you're given such an amazing gift that you just hold it back. You have to share it, you have to push it, and you got to keep building on it. And you do that. You're on one of our clinical advisory panels at CAP, and you're helping to guide some of this research along. How important is that role for you? I mean, and do you feel you really are making a difference? Absolutely. I absolutely feel like I'm making a difference because researchers and scientists, they know their reason why, but they have to be reminded of who, who they're treating who they're potentially curing, who they're affecting with their daily work. They know the why, why you're sick. We want to fix you, but who are they? What are they going through? They need to remember that because sometimes I think you get into, I guess the mundane portion of day by day science, and then you have your setbacks and then you go forward and you need that drive to be like, wow, I, 
gave these people a life. I gave these people a family. I kept their unit together. Um, we know that many clinical trials now um, do a good job of kind of reaching out to different communities, but often miss out and are ignored or overlook underserved communities. How important is it for, for the roles of patients and patient advocates to be able to kind of remind uh, the researchers that there are many, many different groups out there and we need to do as good a job of reaching out to those communities as we possibly can. Well, in our case, I didn't know anything about gene therapy. It wasn't until, you know, Dr. Buckbinder at Chalk said, hey, they're doing this at UCLA. You might want to look into it. Do you want me to have them reach out? That's because I was in that situation. Now, are there ways that maybe these things should be more broadly advertised so that people think, hey, there is another option besides, you know, what maybe your physician is limited in, in, in knowledge? Because not every physician is going to be privy to all these trials and all these other studies. So I think with social media, things can be kind of, I guess, advertised in that sense. Um, another way that, for example, underprivileged individuals may get it sooner or at least get it directly to them is we have wonderful school districts that, you know, they promote meals, they promote extra help and education, they can be promoting options with health um, and trial information, and maybe that is a way of reaching them as well. There are just so many more platforms today than there were, you know, five, 10 years ago that I think every one of those social media and news networks and even simple thing as a school district can get to people that are underprivileged. So as you know, there are a lot of clinics out there offering therapies that haven't really been proven to be either safe or effective. Um, you've become kind of a spokesperson for this. Do you often get people coming up to you and saying, should I go to one of these clinics? Should I, should I try this? Absolutely. You have people that are, you know, sold on the fact that, oh, I have stem cells put into my knee and my knee feels better. Well, I'm glad it's feeling better, but the stem cells really didn't do anything for your knee. Um, you know, they have somewhere, you know, oh, I'm putting these stem cells on my face and it looks younger or, you know, I great. Um, but to me, I look for institutional backing. Um, when we did the research for Evangelina, uh, it was NIH documents, UCLA documents, UCSF documents, USC documents, uh, research in, in Italy, London. Um, it, it was very broad and worldwide. So in my opinion, do your research. If you don't see, you know, CIRM or UCLA or the NIH promoting these treatments, then they're not really treatments and you're wasting your money. Right. That's the way I see it. I always tell people if stem cells worked for the face, would I look like this? Um, clearly not. Alicia, thank you so much for, for joining us and as always for sharing your story. It's always a delight. <laughs>